0: the objective to deliver the nba to you like no other news play breakdowns power rankings storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else it's all straight shots here fired by straight shooters s and gun this is the objective basketball podcast Hello, everyone. (laughs) Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. Lauren S. here reacting live right after. um, The Miami Heat have made it to the NBA Finals. We thought they were going to lose, we thought they were going to slip up. It it didn't happen. 3 0, Boston, they're the only team. The Red Sox did it in 2004. What (laughs) if Boston does it again? And none of that mattered. Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, and the Miami Heat are headed to the NBA Finals. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. It's the playoffs. Get in the game and make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live and play on all your favorite teams matchups. Head to sportsinteraction.com sdpn or download the app to get started. 19 plus please play responsibly. I am getting that out the way because we have a lot to discuss today, Lauren. I'll mm-hmm. just I'll throw it to you just to see where you want to go with this because I always do in moments like this, it's chaotic, mm. it's crazy right now. Yeah. Nobody expected the Miami Heat to get to this point, right? Right. And nobody expected the Boston Celtics to come back from down 3-0. And then once that happened, nobody expected the Miami Heat to survive in Boston
1: mm-hmm.
0: after losing in that fashion, the Derek white game winner, exactly, you know, yeah. everything like that. How are you reacting to all of that? That
1: it's just insane. You know, as I was watching game seven, I was watching it. Like I'm physically exhausted watching this game, even though it <laughs> obviously ended in, and kind of went in the, in the manner and it all ended the way it did. But as I'm watching this game, I'm like, where is Boston? Like you're just waiting for the punch like and we've we've been in that situation before, but it's it's game seven. this is it. you know I, you, I'm glad you mentioned the game six ending in the Derek White crazy shot. Um, having that moment to bring you back home on your home floor with an opportunity to make history, mm-hmm. like you have all the momentum, you have all the things in in your corner and to just go out in that manner. I want to talk about Jalen Brown is what I want to talk about because
0: (laughs) we'll get, we will get to that. We will get to that for sure. Absolutely. There's so many angles to approach this. I think just game wise, we can, we can kind of start there. It was a blowout ladies and gentlemen, 103, 84, the heat handled business. They looked, uh, I think throughout from the start of the game, it felt like the, the type of game, the heat want to play. It was slower. It was muddier. Things were grimy. You had to fight tooth and nail for every carved out possession. It just felt like that is the type of environment that the Miami Heat thrive in. Um, mm. and, and it turned out that way. Yes, the Celtics didn't shoot the ball as well as they wanted to. They struggled tonight. They couldn't hit any of their shots from outside. They shot nine of 42, nine of 42 from behind the arc, 21% from three. And yes, we can talk about the shooting; we can blame it on that. But I actually want to talk about the very first possession of the game. Jason Tatum rolls his ankle. That's the first thing that happens in the mm-hmm. entire game. And and right there in that moment, without it being that big of a deal, nobody really realizes. Like, oh, maybe it's just something he's dealing with. Uh, well, now he's on the bench. He's you know getting treatment for it. And oh, he's he's grimacing every time he takes a layup or grabs a rebound. Now that's an issue. And the game the dynamic of the game, the momentum, if you will, the the style of the game completely changed on its head. I think that was the turning point. I think that gave Miami, whether it was an actual edge or a mental edge, it gave them that. And they were in control throughout the rest of the game. Um, that was Jimmy Butler being in control. He was awesome tonight. Um, I, I I mean, what what did he have? He had 28 points. Yeah, he took 28 shots, but I mean, he did what he had to, to get there. And I think what, I mean, there's, there's just so many aspects to this, but like the way the heat were able to approach this game from a defensive standpoint, Mm -hmm. making the Celtics, you know, take, I mean, they were taking some pretty good looks from behind the arc, but a lot of those looks were rushed. A lot Mm -hmm. of those looks were, Hey, we're going to throw out a flyby. Uh, you know, as, as the shot is going up just to make sure we have a body Mm -hmm. there to contest it. And it worked. They did a good job executing their defensive game plan. The offensive side of things wavered for Miami. And we can get into that when we talk about Denver and how they match up, et cetera, et cetera. But for now, I just, the Miami heat, like (laughs) they've, they have done it. They have silenced all doubters. Jimmy Butler is headed to his second NBA Finals. Kyle Lowry is headed to his second NBA mm-hmm. Finals. You know, Bam Adebayo. Um, it's a very, very cool moment for that franchise and for that group. We've talked about how much it matters to be here. Like they, mm-hmm. they are the 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 fact that they are now going to be mentioned in that upper echelon of teams in this last half decade of making it to the finals, getting to that point. And I'm sorry, I'm going off here, but it's just so no, much. Lord, don't. please jump in. <laughs> yeah, can.
1: no. I mean, as I was watching them, kind of going back to one of the things that I said before about just being physically exhausted watching this game was we've talked before about how Miami has this experience, but at the same time, Boston doesn't have the excuse of being this young team anymore yeah. that that you know just needs time, needs reps. That's not that's not an excuse. And and the Jaden Jason Tatum injury was definitely a turning point. I agree with you there. But, again, as I'm watching this game, it goes beyond Jason Tatum. You're watching the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, um, Haywood Highsmith, making these – just everyone making hustle plays, even Kyle Lowry. Um, Mm -hmm. So many guys, everybody, everybody on the team making hustle plays, and that is Heat culture. That's what they do. We've seen it all year, all playoffs. But when you are in kind of this quote-unquote hostile environment and you're in a game seven and the pressure is at an all-time high, and it is quite literally do or die – Um, To be able to to stay in control and and do the little things and stay detail-oriented is very, very difficult to do. And I think when you see a team like Boston and you see a team like Miami go back and forth with a team that is kind of losing control and kind of losing their composure when you have Jason Tatum and you have Jalen Brown and everyone is like, okay, well Jason Tatum has this injury and that's kind of the Jalen Brown opportunity for you to step up. And who are they deferring to? Derek White. That's no disrespect to Derek White, but like Jalen Brown, that's your moment and and you failed. And so yeah. I think for Miami to to take advantage of the Jason Tatum situation and continue to do the little things, stay the course without feeling you like you are ever playing with your food, that is what takes you to that next level. And I think that for this Boston team, I don't even want to call it growing pains. I don't even know really what you call that performance. But for Miami, yeah. I mean, it's just another, I don't know what lo- necessarily lies ahead for them. That's that's a whole different conversation. But what they did tonight after losing and then having to go into an away arena, uh, especially dealing with a Boston crowd, that is a lot to take on. And it just never looked like they were um even phased by that. They yeah. it was like they were on a mission even from the time I think Spo said right after game six, he said, we wish we could tip off, tip this thing off right now. Um and you saw that in this game. So um I think it was incredible. I'm very curious to see, you know, moving forward what happens in this next series for Miami. But all all playoffs long, we have talked about what to expect from them. How high can they how high and how how long can this thing go? And I mean I'm I'm done doubting them. I'm not necessarily saying <laughs> I'm picking them over the Nuggets, but what yeah. they're doing, I can no longer pinpoint the trajectory. I can know, not that I could before, but it's just, it's really amazing and a testament to what they've accomplished this season.
0: There's a level of resilience that is required to, mental resilience, physical resilience, all that stuff, that is required to lose your third best player in the first or second game of the NBA playoffs in Tyler Hero and then lose the replacement to that player, which is Victor Oladipo, a couple of games after that. And then go on and fill your roster with guys, fill out the rotation with guys like Caleb Martin, who was waived by the Charlotte Hornets two seasons ago, picked up by the Miami Heat. Now the story has circulated everywhere, but yes, J. Cole set him up with a workout uh, with Karan Butler in the Miami Heat. He signed on there with a two-way contract. And now he averaged not almost 19 points in the nba in, in the eastern conference finals and dropped 26 was it 26 points tonight yes he dropped 26 points on 11 of 16 shooting in a closeout game 7 elimination game i want you to understand how unbelievable that is for a guy who was averaging 9 points in the regular season who was waived from one of the worst teams in the nba 2 seasons ago to now be the guy uh, in in so many aspects, the motor of what this Miami Heat team was in this series. Yes, Jimmy Butler is the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. He was sensational without him. He is the heartbeat of what this Miami Heat team is. But you need to have contributions from other guys. I just mentioned Hero went down earlier in the playoffs. Oladipo went down early in the playoffs. The fact that these guys have a resilience level a belief in themselves mentally to be able to step up in these moments. Duncan Robinson last night or or two nights ago in game six, missing those shots still playing well tonight. And also being very, very effective in the last game. Also just popping back up in the NBA playoffs. Remember how people were talking about Duncan Robinson, the albatross of a contract. How are they <laughs> right. going to move Duncan Robinson? Mm-hmm. And now he is a key rotation piece back in, in their, you know, for an NBA Finals team. Mm -hmm. You talk about Max Struess and Gabe Vincent, guys who are going to be free agents, looking for a lot of money this summer. Those (laughs) guys also stepped up in major ways. Haywood Highsmith, in the second quarter of this game, Haywood Highsmith, Haywood freaking Highsmith. (laughs) Some people would say that is a 2K-generated name, Mm -hmm. but it is not. He is a real NBA player, and the man played some great minutes tonight for the Miami Heat i I to me, that is the secret sauce to to heat culture. That's why I have the red <laughs> I, I, I had to do the red to make it heat culture. I was ready for it. It's the secret sauce. It's the fact that they are able to somehow some way get guys to buy into a system, a belief system, something mm-hmm. that is mythical in a lot of ways, and it just helps them contribute whatever they ask, whatever they require of them. They are yeah. able to do it. That's the Miami Heat way. It is, and it, and it worked.
1: It, it's it's unbelievable. And I I tweeted something out earlier during the game because as I'm watching these guys and continuing to watch what they've been doing, and they've been doing it all playoffs. It, it wasn't just tonight, but everyone is is continuing to talk about the undrafted guys, and and for years we have talked about Miami as an organization and their ability to go out. And find those guys, but I, I really do think it goes beyond that. And that was kind of the essence of my, of my tweet was that one, uh, one of the things that uh, the broadcast crew had said earlier in, in this, I believe it was this series was that Miami, when they bring guys in undrafted guys, they treat them as if they're quote unquote star players or, or players that were drafted. I heard, I heard that in game six. Yeah. yeah. They were not, they're not just undrafted guys that are like barely making the cut. And I think that there's something to that. I think that, you know, a lot of guys in in different systems might come in and have this this mental pressure and stress and anxiety of this is it. It's do or die with my career, with what I've been working my whole life for. And so I think the Miami Heat, not only do not only do they have this this knack for identifying talent, but. It's identifying talent, identifying a fit within your system, the right mindset, the right personalities, and bringing able to being able to bring them in, and then kind of cater to them and 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 welcome them into your system and into your organization to the point where they're ready Absolutely. to contribute on day one. That's mm-hmm. very very difficult to do, and I think that there's a lot that goes into that. That kind of gets, I don't want to say like overlooked, but people just gloss over it and say Miami can just identify. They're great at finding undrafted guys. I think it goes beyond that It's
0: hard to quantify, right? It's It's very hard. It's very hard. If you're not day to day with the team, if you're not seeing exactly what they put these guys through, how are you able to, you know, specify, okay, this is what is very different. I, personally, one thing I would love to do in my time later down the road is to be able to go and investigate like, okay, what makes this team's development system different from, I don't know, the Dallas Mavericks or the mm-hmm. Toronto Raptors or whatever. Yeah. Um. I, I, I think that's an interesting point and you bring it up that the way that they find guys that are willing to be developed and also uh, just fit their system, what they want to believe in, what they're doing. Um, okay. Maybe too much heat culture right now. Let's flip it over
1: <laughs> yeah, to let's.
0: the, to the Boston Celtics. Cause we can, we can talk Miami heat when we do, we'll, we'll talk about the nuggets and the finals in a second. And we'll do a little bit more Miami heat stuff. Now the Boston Celtics have for another season fallen short of their expectations. I, I know that might be crazy to say, but this is a team that was the second best record in the NBA behind the Milwaukee bucks, which by the way, the Miami heat also eliminated. And they were expected to either win the NBA championship or make it to the NBA finals. And actually, no, I, I'll, I'll take that second caveat caveat out of there. They were expected to win the NBA championship. That's yeah. what they came into this season saying. And they didn't. And they fell short of those expectations by a good amount. That's not to say that coming back from down three nothing uh, and making it a series, forcing game seven, is not something worth not celebrating, but it is a failure. We go back to the Giannis and uh, the quotes that happened earlier this season. Th- the Boston Celtics season is a failure. Yeah. Um. And yeah, they have questions they have to answer. They have things they have to address. One of those things is seemingly a recurring issue. And that's the fact that Jalen Brown seems to not be the same type of player in these types of moments we saw last year against the golden state warriors they start you know draymond green had that quote of we we started forcing this guy left and things started to change from there but but i I know a lot of people have exasperated that and kind of made a joke of that whole thing but at the end of the day it's true his ball handling has been insufficient and it's kind of it stopped him from being a top tier star in this league he had eight turnovers tonight and we saw that again tonight Mm -hmm. now I I don't want to I don't want to rain on the Jalen Brown parade that's not my intentions with this at all Mm -hmm. because I think he is a good player but it it goes to the whole idea of why a Tatum Brown team can't work Mm -hmm. because it's missing someone that can set the table for them Marcus Smart is great He's very, very, he's very underrated as a playmaker. In my opinion, Derek White is not much of a playmaker. He was awesome. He obviously impacts the game in other ways, defensively as an offensive rebounder, as a guy who can do all that plug and plug and play connective stuff. That's what Derek White does. He's not a playmaker. Malcolm Brogdon, he was hurt. He was hurt. We could see that. Um, But also he's, he's not a playmaker. He's more of a scoring guard. He's a guy that can get you buckets off of the bench. Now he's a six man of the year. That's what he's known for. Um, they need another guy to set mm-hmm. the table because it's clear that Brown and Tatum have that as a deficiency.
1: Yeah, they
0: can't create their own looks and create for others at a high rate. Right. It, I think that's also you mentioned this last week, but some people have brought that idea up about Kawhi and PG. Mm-hmm. They need a point guard next to them. I mean, the Clippers have been looking desperately for a point guard. That's why <laughs> Russell Westbrook worked. Russell Westbrook was great in the playoffs and this season for the Clippers because the Clippers desperately needed that type of player. I'm not saying the Celtics should go out there and get Russell Westbrook, although maybe (laughs) maybe Maybe. that's a good fit. Honestly, (laughs) I, I kind of don't hate that fit for them. I think that would make sense, but they need another guy that can set the table, that can create looks for them, that can get downhill and make life easier. That's probably the best way to put it. Make yeah. life easier for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum because right now the way that the team is structured, it just doesn't seem like it's prepared for, you know, getting getting over that one hurdle at the yeah. end of it. You know,
1: yeah, and it and I I, I hate because I feel like there's an element of recency bias that's gonna come sure. with this next phrase, but I do feel like this was kind of it. Like if if this season, if this was the season that you couldn't get the job done, because I agree with what you said a second ago. It, was, it wasn't Eastern Conference Finals. It was the NBA Finals. The, that's where – that's the expectation. And Championship. So, championship. A championship. A yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for this Celtics team to have the sixth man of the year, to just – to be stacked like so, so deep yeah. and to have kind of still seemingly glaring, easily identifiable issues that – became clear that okay, that this might prevent them from getting over the hump. Miami not that not to discredit what they did and what they accomplished, but there are glaring holes. And so for this team moving forward, the Jalen Brown question I think is is very interesting because yeah, we can talk about offseason moves and all these things and the contract and, and whatever, but it wasn't just this game. Yeah, yeah, the turnovers, it was bad this game but everything was pretty bad for Boston this game I'm like all series yeah. and even it just hasn't been that great and so there was a point where where we talked about him and Jason Tatum as one a and 1b and I I mean I think there's an argument that he was not even two maybe tonight and 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 yeah. maybe in previous games it just it you cannot have that to be as dominant of a team as Boston has been all season and then to have your number two guy who's up for five years 295 million dollars this summer Super max money. That's insane. And so Boston has big decisions ahead of them. I hate that sometimes in this league, sometimes it's a matter of, you know, we have to pay somebody because we're not just going to let them walk for nothing. We're not just going to like, you kind of get stuck. So I'm not saying, Oh, they shouldn't give them the con because that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. But I do think that they have serious questions ahead of them and who out there in terms of playmaking, could they add at a low cost or, will it be more of a significant shakeup and 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 when you're looking at the playmaking i don't know that a significant shakeup in that in in that role specifically is out there but it's hard to find it, it it's, it's very hard to find especially yeah. on the the, tie, the the Tatum timeline it's all it's a lot to 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 make work
0: I agree with you. And uh, yeah, it's 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 asking it's an impossible ask because those type of players are first rare. There's not that many <laughs> of them anymore. There's right. not those type of table setters like ideally what you would want with this team is like Prime Chris Paul, you know, Prime yeah. Chris Paul would make this right, right.
1: I know that's. Crazy <laughs> I kind of knew say. you were
0: going there too. <laughs> well, it's like it's like yeah, okay. It, it, it Prime Chris Paul is an MVP candidate. Probably should have won that <laughs> one year, and mm-hmm. I, I, I understand that that's an, a hard ask. That's a tough ask to make. There's not that many guys who can replicate that. And even at a lower level, like I mentioned with Russell Westbrook earlier, there's just there's not a lot of guys that can do those things for you out on the open market. So what they can do to really shake it up, Mm -hmm. people people are going to jump at, Okay, let's let's shake it up and break up Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and let's move and find someone else. I I personally think I still think that would be a mistake. I know that we just talked about Jalen Brown's deficiencies. I understand the, the money issues and everything like that but unless you are getting a certifiable replacement, that makes more sense than Jalen Brown. Mm -hmm. Like, let's say for some reason, randomly, the Portland trailblazers are like, you know what, man, we're thinking of moving off of Damian Lillard. We will give you Damian Lillard. You give us Jalen Brown. We'll call it. I I don't know what the exact arrangements around that would be, but I, I don't think the blazers would do that. And I don't think the Celtics would really consider it that much either. I just, there's not that many things out there for the Celtics to do. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's to your point, what we're trying to say here. It's like, how many times are you going to kick this same can down the road? Maybe they're forced now to kick that same can down the road. Uh, Obviously they have some questions in terms of, you know, age and whatnot. Marcus smarts getting a little bit older. Uh, Al Horford obviously is one of the elder Statesmen of the NBA. Um, So it's, it's tough to envision how this team shakes out throughout the rest of you know, this next couple of years as they're growing into their prime. But I'll say this thing. The Celtics have two or three major issues they have to address. And I think they're not that crazy of issues. One, it's the over-reliance on the three-point shot. I think it's very clear throughout this playoff series, we've seen that the offensive structure of the Celtics team is to get downhill and collapse the defense, generate open looks from behind the arc that way, And it works when you're hitting your shots, but there's no diversity of thought there when it comes to their offensive creation. So they lack in the department of, oh, if our threes aren't falling, we can get to the rim. We can finish. Oh, our, our, our threes aren't falling. Okay. Well, now we have a great off ball game, cutting actions. You do the split actions like the nuggets love to run DHOs, things like that. They just don't have tons of that, that they can get into. And I think that's maybe an area where Joe Mazzula and his coaching staff can grow. Maybe that's something to address in the offseason, getting more veteran experience on that coaching staff. And then the the second side of this is the how are we going to get another playmaker in there? And what would we have to do to change up our team in order to do that? We'll see. It's going to be a long offseason, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the Boston Celtics as this kind of transpires. I know some. there was some talk, some discussion that Joe Mazzula should get canned, and I don't think that's the case anymore. I think mm-hmm. maybe when it was 3 nothing and they were on the verge of a sweep, it was more of a conversation, but I think he's at the very least saved his career by forcing a Game 7. Would you agree with that?
1: I would agree with that. I think there was so much shock and wow factor with what was happening in those first three games that, that kind of begged the question, but then there's a lot that goes into being able to tie it up at three, three. So I think yeah. he has, I I agree. I think he's secured his, his job moving forward. And I think that that's the right decision for the Boston Celtics, because they're like, we've just talked about, there are going to need to be changes. You can't just run the same exact scenario back, but too much change can often kind of present cracks in the foundation sometimes. And so I think rocking with Joe moving forward um, will be, kind of their best path forward and kind of figuring out those around the fringes moves. that's what I think will be the, the next move for them. I kind of look at like Robert Williams for example. I think that something there could could help them out. Um, but hanging on to Joe, hanging on to Jalen Brown, I think you have to do that. otherwise you you have real big questions if you if you are making those kinds of moves.
0: The other side of this is, like we mentioned, the money side. It's like, hey, both of these guys, we mentioned it uh, in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, but they're going to combine for $600 million over this next five or six years if they were to both sign their Supermax extensions. Um, Obviously, with Brown and making the All-NBA team, that's now in play. And I wonder if the Celtics look at it from that point of view. And I, 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 I honestly, I'm not sure where the debate goes on that. I, I tend to say that Jalen Brown is not a Supermax player. I know there's going to be some people, some Celtics fans, people who are going to be on the opposite side of that. But I mean, from what we've seen, from what we've been able to digest, he's definitely like, I really hate the Supermax designation because it really, it it limits your flexibility as a team to be able to do things. And from the team side of points, it's a lot harder how to maneuver the cap minutia and figure out ways that you can create a competitive advantage of your, for yourself when you have two supermax players um it's a tough pill to swallow and and the Celtics will have to at least at the very least question whether it's the right investment to make because right. once you sign him onto that supermax contract it might be a little bit more difficult to trade him right you're looking at Bradley right. Beal right now with the Washington Wizards Bradley Beal is a great player right good player i think i think he could help a playoff team i think there are some teams, maybe even French contenders that could use a Bradley Beal. But at the same time, the, the money, the supermax contract, we talked about it last week with how much he's he's owed and how far down the road he's owed that money. It becomes a question. And it, I think it becomes a fair question, especially with Brown.
1: Right. Well, so, what- and. I- I mean, even just the yeah. six hundred million between between Tatum and Brown, Huge. we haven't even touched on the Grant Williams contract. You know what I mean? So I, I think that there's a big question there and and I would I don't wanna assume that he's gone. That that's that also feels very recency biasy. But yeah. um that's a big question. There's gonna heat, there are going to be teams that throw him some money, even just for the sake of pulling him away from the Celtics. So yeah. uh, that's another big question. And and I mean the financial implications of all of this, we've talked about the new CBA and, and and the trades and and where you're limited with moving draft assets. So I think the Celtics, when it comes to if you don't necessarily have faith. That, um, good <laughs> God. What up, Winston? Oh, so, God. Yes. Right. He gives his best. But, um, <laughs> if he, if they don't have faith that, that, cause that's the whole, a whole other layer to this if they don't have faith that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are the core, the two do the duo of the future. Okay. Say you throw Jalen Brown, the money just to keep him just to keep it moving forward. So he doesn't walk. Then how do you necessarily build your team moving forward? You know what your I mean? Flexi- that's, your flexibility is ruined. Yeah. Out. Even if you're like, Oh, we'll just trade Jalen Brown and this and this and this. Well, it might not be that simple if the opportunity yeah. presents itself. And that's another thing that I think is going to have to go into the decision-making for the Boston <laughs> Celtics.
0: You know, it's crazy. I I hear the, little little thing and and it's crazy because i keep thinking it's my dog my dog keeps walking in the room and i'm like what what is attached to your leg what is going on okay (laughs) he's so bad (laughs) so bad doesn't matter yeah a a bunch of dogs man a bunch of dogs like the miami heat um i i i think with the with the boston celtics like we will we will see what happens as the summer goes down because who knows right jalen brown could be frustrated with his situation and want out maybe he says that him and jason tatum are the best of buds and they never want to break up and yeah i I could those i can see either of those yeah it's it's wide open to to debate obviously brown has been very loud and open about his you know he obviously doesn't like celtics fans or at least he said it in passing that like Yes, there is a sort of disdain when it comes to how Boston and, you know, I I think that's there, right? He's mentioned it multiple times. I also think the him potentially getting traded and being thrown in trade rumors multiple times thing hasn't worked out really well between him and the Celtics organization. And now when you have this stuff mounting on top of that, I think it gets to the point where maybe he also considers it from his perspective. That it might be time to, to you know, amicably split ways, if you will. Right. I don't know why I slurred my words there, but yes. <laughs> um, okay, look. So we'll see what happens with the Boston Celtics. Let's get back to the Miami Heat, who are going to the NBA Finals. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, June first, Thursday, game one in Denver. Uh, the Denver Nuggets have been waiting for ten days, nine days actually. <sighs> That's crazy. Um. Jokic has been able to go back home, jump on his horses, chill out a little bit, but he really could have, he really could have went home and came back and, you know, no big deal. Uh, I just watched succession. Those guys use private (laughs) jets like nothing. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I guess the the point here is that we have an NBA finals matchup on our hands. It's the Nuggets, who are the number one seed, who look like world beaters throughout the Western Conference. They absolutely demolished the Timberwolves, then they demolished the Phoenix Suns, and then they went on and demolished the Los Angeles Lakers. They have been world beaters. They've only lost, what am I saying, three games? Four games? Four games. Yeah, they've only lost four games in these NBA playoffs. It's crazy. Um, Actually, no, they lost to the Timberwolves in they beat the Timberwolves in 5 or 6. I'm 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 losing I'm my not, head now. Now I'm, I'm like, getting confused. I, whatever. 3 or 4 games. They've only lost 3 or 4 games in these NBA playoffs and that is incredibly impressive. Mm-hmm. We are losing our heads here at Monday <laughs> Monday at a, a, you know, late night Monday, but it's an NBA Finals matchup. Where do you want to start with this? How do you think it shakes out first of all and where where does where does the advantage lie? It's obviously going to be Miami, and I see Winston kind of going <sighs> going crazy. Just... I don't know if you want me to jump in first, but yes.
1: Yes. How do you I'll feel? I'll go. I'll I'll go. I think um the advantage lies with Denver. I think most people feel pretty confident in Denver's ability, but I'm very curious to see what Miami throws at Jokic. Obviously, mm-hmm. they Denver running their offense through Jokic. I'm curious to see what Miami will try to counter that with, and then what the adjustment from Mike Malone will be. Um, How much are they going to be able to rely on Jamal Murray and, and Michael Porter Jr.? Are they going to be consistent enough to counter? what Miami throws at Jokic and, and, and tries to to mitigate his playmaking and make, make the other guys make the decisions. The Bruce Brown, again, the Jamal Murrays, even Aaron Gordon to an extent. I'm not necessarily Aaron Gordon to a lesser degree, but they need to make other guys make decisions. And I want to see how effective and how consistent those guys can be.
0: Well, that starts with Miami's defense, right? Exactly. I, and I think, look, it's hard because a lot of people have brought up the fact that Bam Adebayo is 8-0 versus Nikola Jokic in his career. The Denver Nuggets, they have the number one offense against zone coverage in the NBA, in regular season, and in the playoffs. They dominate against the exact style that the Miami Heat plays because the Miami Heat are incredibly over-aggressive as a defense. They are sending help constantly. They're trying to force force turnovers. They're trying to get out and running. They're trying to push in transition and because of that they're forced to play this over aggressive style on defense that is the type of defense that Nikola Jokic can carve up just absolutely demolish because he can see the help coming he creates shots for his teammates now his teammates are all hitting their shots there's momentum building there's energy Jokic is getting involved the entire Nuggets team is getting involved and before you know it they're up 20 points that's how exactly. the nuggets that's how the nuggets play basketball yeah and i i just think that how Eric Spolstra attacks that problem approaches that will be the key to all of this. Obviously um, with Nikola Jokic teams have tried different things. They've tried their big man one-on-one. They've tried to place a smaller player on Jokic and keep their big man as the help as the Lakers did with Rui Hachimura and Anthony Davis. Maybe the, the the heat try something like that. Maybe they go, okay, Hey, we're going to put, I don't know. Uh, Haywood Highsmith or Kevin Love, Kevin Love. We'll we'll put Kevin Love on Nikola Jokic. He's a big body, 6'10", 6'11. Maybe his size can deter him. You know, his length can maybe bother him. And have Bam Adebayo as the weak side guy. The issue is Bam Adebayo isn't the biggest guy either. He's six foot nine. Yes, he can be a big presence, but mm-hmm. he's not a shot blocking, rim deterring type of. You know, he's not right. the he's not the dominant paint presence. He's more known as as the defensive versatility guy on defense, the guy you can use in multiple positions in multiple areas of the court on defense. So I, I wonder how the heat are able to approach that. That being said, it's hard to use any of the data we've seen from the regular season and from their matchups before this to talk about this current Miami heat team, because they're a different team. They're hitting their shots. Their role players have stepped in. Uh, they're missing Tyler Hero, who most likely won't be back in the NBA finals from what the reports have said. And they have these other guys who the Nuggets not haven't necessarily had to face much yet. Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson is back in the mix. You know, you obviously have the other role players that can play a factor as well. And Max Struess, Gabe Benson, they have the the Miami Heat, I think have the, if, if, if this matters to you at all, it's the veteran experience of being in the NBA finals sometimes those brights those lights can get bright you know like sometimes it can it can mess with the player and i'm not saying that'll happen to the denver nuggets i think they're a very composed team Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day the heat have just been there more kevin love so i just saw a funny stat kevin love has made it to the nba finals every single time he's been in the playoffs how crazy crazy yeah because it was the Cavs, and now you know the one time he came with the miami heat they're headed to the nba finals kyle lowry has been an NBA finalist. Obviously, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Robinson, those guys that were part of the 2020 run also have experience. I wonder if that plays a factor. I don't yeah.
1: I don't buy into that that much, but it it could be something. I think it could. I think it could. Yeah. I think it could especially when there are I mean, not that Denver relies so heavily on Christian Brown or even Bruce Brown or yeah. or my, I mean well they do rely on Michael Porter Jr but in the moments where guys don't necessarily have an abundance of experience at the highest level where the lights are brightest I will be interested to see if that if there are moments where it's like okay there might be a little bit of something there because sometimes it's these key possessions can be a game-changing, momentum-changing sequence yep. in, in a game that then ends up being a huge momentum swing in the, in the entire series. So I am curious to see if that's something that we feel maybe retrospectively was a factor. I saw tw- as of 20 minutes ago, Chris Haynes said that Miami Heat uh, guard Tyler Hero is ramping up workouts and is expected to make his return at some point with Game 3 being the likely target. We oh. will see... We okay. will see because there's the the fitness question. Mm. There's the rotate like there's yeah, big yeah, questions. Yeah. But but I'll be very curious to see what they that look looks like.
0: They've looked better without him. I'm like, I know. Oh, that, yeah. And and that's not to that's not to say that they are a better team without a right. guy like him. But like continuity wise, you're yep. throwing him like you mentioned. that You're gonna just throw him into the NBA finals. That's, that's
1: that, yeah. I don't know that I love that. Like I don't know that I would do that. You yeah, know what I mean? It, like that's a that's a huge that's a huge risk because you're you're gonna be right in the middle of a series making right. adjustments, going back home, and then you're gonna just completely switch everything up. I that's there's messes a lot of risk up there. your
0: playoff rotation. You already have guys set. Uh, they obviously know their roles. To right. throw a guy like Hero in there, who is a high usage player, I I that's a hard question. I think that's something you have to really really try to recognize. Uh, from Spo's perspective, how he approaches that, that's going to be super, super key. And very interesting. Good point on that. Very interesting if Tyler Hero comes back in the series, Gosh, because that'll really. help the Miami Heat a little bit offensively. Right. Obviously, this is another level um, offensive talent-wise. Okay, the Celtics are a great <laughs> offensive team. The Celtics yeah. are a great <laughs> offensive team. The best offensive team that Miami has faced in these playoffs, the Bucs weren't a great offensive team. They were great in transition, but with Giannis Kumbo her, it, it was a different story. The Knicks were one of the best offenses in the league in the regular season, but Miami had a great plan for them because they were such an ISO heavy team. You can look up the ISO stats from the regular season and the playoffs. It, the Knicks offense was Jalen Brunson, ISO Julius Randall, ISO, and in the playoffs, that's easier to stop. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just the truth of the matter. It's not as potent of an offense. The Celtics, on the other hand, were a step up, even from the Knicks, who were a top you know, five offense. I think it was top three, actually, offense in the league. The, the, the Celtics were number two. They were, they've been an incredible shooting team all season. They were high octane. If there was a Celtics-Nuggets series, man, would that be an incredible offensive series because it would just okay. be back and forth. They'd be flying back and forth. It'd, it'd be up-tempo. The shooting would be incredible, all of that. But this right here, Heat Nuggets, is a very big clash in style. The Heat, they want to get muddy. They don't want you to score a lot of points. They're going to try everything possible, including throwing a zone out you out at you, switching man to man, really trying to like switch things up just to make you uncomfortable. That's what the Miami Heat are going to try to do in a playoff series. How effective that is against the Denver Nuggets and their incredible offense, which is better than the Celtics and the mm-hmm. Knicks and the Bucks, <laughs> we'll see. That is it's the ultimate test. Yeah. The ultimate test. test
1: Because it's it's like it's not only is it the talent level with the Denver Nuggets, but like the level of cohesion that they play with. It's so crisp. And so I'm very, very curious to see just the adjustments from a defensive perspective alone. How how Spo goes about that and what that looks like over the course of a series because obviously it's gonna it's gonna change, um, but I do think it's gonna be very interesting because it is such a clash of the styles. I like the way you said that, um, and it's I mean I think it's gonna be a good one. I, I don't want to say that it's gonna be so dominant on on Denver's side that it's gonna be a, a quick you know in and out. Yeah,
0: this is I the don't want to say I that. I don't.
1: So, Let's hear it. Oh, I need this. So, Let's hear the okay. hot take.
0: Yeah. No. Look, I. I think there is a world where the heat can win this series. A lot of people are just writing them off and saying that the nuggets are going to steamroll them. And I I think there are genuine reasons to believe that we just outlined a bunch of them. Why you would think the nuggets have the upper hand 99 times out of a hundred, maybe even when it comes to the series, but we just saw the heat (laughs) beat the Celtics And they apparently, according to ESPN analytics had a 3%
1: chance (laughs) to do that. Nuts. So I'm just saying, I I think this is the one team you can't steamroll. You can't just write them off. Exactly. One team at the very
0: least. I am saying, you know, I can't say nuggets in four or five. I know that for sure, because I just know the Miami heat are going to somehow find a way to win a couple games. Yeah. I, out of respect to Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat and heat culture because of this this light bulb. Um <laughs> I'm going to say the Nuggets in 6. That yeah. is my current prediction. If the Heat win this series, more power to them. Incredible story. <laughs> what a unbelievable run to be the first 8 seed to win an NBA championship, second 8 seed to make it to the NBA finals, beating the beating all three top Uh, top three teams in the nba that would be insane i just it would be absolutely insane i would not be shocked because they have been shocking the world literally every single series
1: yep i have had i have not picked them in
0: one series
1: (laughs) me either me either because every time we do a preview every time we talk about them i'm like i just don't see how they can do it how it's but I'm not going to be surprised if they yeah, do it. <laughs> exactly. they do it. And, like, and then they oh, do it. And
0: look, <laughs> you think and I'd with, learn. With the bucks. we're like, yeah, you know, they obviously have playoff history. They've done this before, but realistically, they probably won't do it. They do it. Yep. The Knicks were like, man, it was a great run, but the shooting variants with the Bucs series, they were shooting the lights out. Can they keep that up? They did it, but they still won the series. And then in the Celtics series, we're like, look, man, it's been a great run it's been a great run. You tried great your best. story. Good time. Yeah, great story. Good times. Pat on the back. See you next season. <laughs> they go up three, nothing. They go up three, nothing. And we're like, oh, wow. Well, <laughs> I guess, I guess an eight seed is just going to sweep. Feels the, familiar. Yeah. Um, and who knows if they somehow find a way to do that again in the NBA finals, it they've proved us wrong three times in a row. And what is it? Uh, what's the saying go? Uh, you know, the, the George Bush saying, uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool yeah. me twice. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, guys, I, but, yeah shame you know,
1: on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got you. I
0: okay. got you. <laughs> Anyways, that is the finals preview. We will talk about it more in depth Thursday through on. Um, there is some other news in the NBA world. And I can't believe that this is towards the end of the podcast because there's just so much that happened with that game, ladies and gentlemen. We're 45 minutes in. We've been talking Eastern Conference basketball, so we might as well continue talking about Eastern Conference basketball. But this is offseason related. The Philadelphia 76ers have their new head coach, a head coach I am familiar with. <laughs> this is Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors. NBA champion Nick Nurse is going to be the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. He's their guy. He met with Joel Embiid. He met with Daryl Mori in the office of the Sixers, you know, basketball operations group. And
1: mm-hmm. he signed
0: on. Apparently, according to Wojnarowski apparent the, the Woj bomb drop. And I, I read the article. <laughs> hey, he picked Phoenix. Uh, he picked Philadelphia over Phoenix. Interesting. Um, so the, maybe, really maybe that's, maybe that's a little bit of PR moves from nurse, hmm. uh, but it seems like he's going to Philly and it seems like they're trying to build something there that he sold them on the vision on how to work around Embiid and how to build around Embiid. Obviously Philly has much to address in the off season when it comes to the James Harden news. That's going to be a big factor here is how are they going to, retain Harden are they mm-hmm. going to retain Harden and how does this team look next year with nurse at the helm offensively defensively etc but it's it's funny that it's Philly to me it is yeah funny that it's Philly.
1: So. yeah I mean we've been talking about the coaching carousel and I mean I feel like for weeks we both have have been or um, correct me if I'm wrong have just felt like Nick Nurse in in Philadelphia just wasn't necessarily the best fit it didn't feel right and so, well, it just felt like it would be awkward, you know. Yeah, out. there's that too. Yeah, yeah. With, with the history with Embiid, and so yeah. I just, I, I, I don't really know. I don't know what to make of it. I need to see the system in play, and I need mm-hmm. to see what the roster looks like because I saw a couple of Rockets people that I that I follow what, reacting to the news and saying this doesn't right. feel like a very James Harden friendly like on paper it's like okay competitive coach competitive culture they're trying to do this but a lot I saw a lot of Rockets people saying this does not feel like a James Harden kind Hire. of situation yeah and yeah, I thought yeah. that that was interesting I don't know what to make of it well it's a hundred a percent a wait and see kind of thing as mm-hmm. of right now I do feel like Philly has no choice but to bring him back obviously it, there's a lot of control in James hands but but if you're Philadelphia you need to do everything you can and I'm kind of scratching i don't want to say scratching my head on the higher because you do have to get somebody who you can compete with but i just the 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 fit is still it, it's very it's a little bizarre to me so i'm i'm curious to see how it shakes out but i don't i i don't know I didn't, I didn't love it i didn't love it
0: yeah i i think i think there are legitimate questions about how the fit looks because there's there's a couple of things we've seen from nick nurse uh you know, Raptors fans who are listening to this will know the the criticisms around Nick Nurse were the following, that he would run guys too hard. There would be too much uh, minutes played was a big issue when it came to running the starters into the ground. Um, and some people will mention development and how the young guys on the team, including Amalachi Flynn and Delano Banton, Christian Coloco, even other guys, Ron Harper Jr., whoever, um, didn't really get a lot of opportunity to, to play and to develop and to figure things out. And I think those are two criticisms that were, I would say they're fair. Um, Although the minute side of things, who knows, maybe the front office was, you know, really pushing to make it to the NBA playoffs. Maybe nurse himself was feeling the pressure of having to make it to the playoffs. And maybe that was a goal that they had for this season. Um, And I, I think maybe that type of thing could be possible at the end of the day, Nick nurse is an NBA champion. I hope that Raptors fans can appreciate the fact that he is their, you know, NBA champion. I know there is uh, a little bit of divisiveness when it comes to nurse. I think uh, the fan base is ultimately very, very split when it comes to discussing him because of how, because of how things ended. Um, yeah. I think it left a, a sour taste in people's mouth the way he was like, Oh, I have to reassess things. And then, He gets let go. And I I think the way that it kind of spiraled over these last couple of seasons has changed the overall perspective. But let's not get it twisted. He's the highest winning percentage coach in Raptors franchise history, won an NBA championship. Uh, He was instrumental in that championship as well. A lot of people remember the boxing one against Steph Curry, him being very creative. A lot Mm -hmm. of other coaches, including your own Rick Carlisle, has mentioned that they've borrowed from Nick Nurse. Yeah, yeah. and I I I think that goes to say he is a good coach. He's yeah, a good coach, yeah. But he is ultimately a flawed coach, like many out there, right? Um, but maybe it's just that the flaws that he has are something the Sixers can deal with. The flaws yeah. that the Six that Doc Rivers had was that he lacked in the playoff adjustment department, and the Sixers couldn't deal with that.
1: Nurse yeah. doesn't have that
0: uh, issue. That issue. He is, yeah, he's is great at adjusting in the playoffs. So. Yeah,
1: I think, and, and I I agree, I'm glad you mentioned his resume, because it, when, I, when I think about this situation in my mind not necessarily being a great fit, it's weird, and I don't find myself saying this very often, but it's not as much because the coach was the quote-unquote wrong hire because he's not qualified, but it's because of what he has a history of working with and how completely different it is with the personnel yeah. that he's now going to be working with. That's and a good point like running James Harden and and Joel Embiid into the ground. I don't know if that's what he's going to do, but even from like a defensive standpoint, the, the types of player that he players that he's used to working with versus what he's going to have now. I mean, Infiliate. God, you got to bring B-Ball Paul back because, oh my God, like yeah. it's just going to be night and day to me. And that I think is the biggest, how is that going to work? I need to see it before I'm like, okay, makes sense.
0: They say that the best coaches adapt to their players. They don't yep. adapt. They don't force their players into one 100%. type of system. We'll see how good of a coach Nick Nurse is because realistically, the Raptors had asked him and maybe he it, it, under his own kind of vision wanted to feel this out as well. But they they employed perimeter defenders, guys who can you know guard, quote unquote, one through five. They can be aggressive. They can overhelp. And I'm not sure if that is as sustainable with the Sixers. Right. You can play a different style. You could be more successful defensively with Philly because of the paint presence that is Joel Embiid. I mean, Embiid at his best defensively can win a Defensive Player of the Year award. He is that good mm-hmm. on the defensive end. And maybe Nurse is good enough defensively as as a <laughs> as a schemer, if you mm-hmm. will, to be able to get them there. Um, yeah. The personnel, you're right, is, is going to be a big issue. I mean, you have P.J. Tucker, who's 36 years old. Do they bring back a Tobias Harris? Do they look in trading Tobias Harris? Tyrese Maxey and James Harden are absolutely food on the perimeter when it comes mm-hmm. to defensive stuff. Yes, they have Jalen McDaniels. Uh, Jaden? J- J- whatever. Jaden. They, they, Jaden, yes, you're right. They, they have Jaden McDaniels. Sorry, guys. It's 11. It's 12 Shit, o'clock at it's night. It's
1: Jalen. Oh, God. See,
0: see, we're losing ourselves here. <laughs> we, are, losing we are. We are. <laughs> uh, J-Mac and J-Mac. Yeah, um, there we go. Yeah, no, but but yes. Uh, look, they don't have that much perimeter defense talent. That's my whole point with this. And that'll be a question. How are they yeah. going to adjust? But regardless, he is in Philly. He is locked in long-term and he is now a part of the process. Whatever the <laughs> process is, if the process is dead to you alive still beating, I'm not sure, but he is there and he is now a part of whatever this momentum is to try to get Joel Embiid an NBA championship in Philadelphia. That is the whole story. It's interesting. Because of the rivalry the Raptors and Sixers have created for themselves over the last half decade. The Kawhi shot, they've met in the playoffs a couple of times. You know, there's obviously been animosity between Embiid and Nurse, and now Embiid and Nurse are, are on the same team. It'll be very, very interesting. Pascal Siakam and Joel Embiid are from the same motherland. Like it just, it's very, very interesting mm-hmm. to see how this thing will all transpire. Um, yeah. And yeah. I'm 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 curious. It's going to be a fun, very fun off season. I feel like we say that every single time we end one <laughs> of these podcasts. There's, there's never a dull moment. Never a dull moment in the NBA. And we still have an NBA finals matchup to play, ladies and gentlemen. We still have an NBA championship to give out. Lauren, anything else before we head out here 12 o'clock on a Monday tapping out? Oof, a doozy. Do no,
1: I, I, I think we hit it on it all.
0: Okay, cool. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. As always, from Lauren, from myself, we will see you later. Peace. Follow hosts at JustSBerahini on all socials and at Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.